first of all, I just love being here and worshiping with you guys. That's, I love that. But I love the, just in that song, Emmanuel, our deliverer and our savior. Man, that's beautiful. And that's, that's our, he's our savior from sin. He's our savior from death, right? Um, which that's kind of a big deal, right? The savior of sin and death. But then just so much else in our lives, right? He's our healer. He's our redeemer. He's, ah, I just love it. And I love our God. We're so, we're just so lucky, man. Like, not lucky. We're not lucky. It's not an accident. But we're just so blessed um, to serve the God that we serve, to love the God that we love, to know the God that we love. And I just, just every time we come in this place and worship together, I'm just reminded of that. And I love it so much. Okay. All right. We're going to be in John chapter 10 this week. And um, we're going to kind of be here for a couple weeks, I guess. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to start here. We just finished up our DNA series, which was uh, fantastic. I had a blast. I hope you had a good time too um, during that series. But uh, we're going to move into John chapter 10. We're going to be talking about Jesus as the shepherd. And so I'm just going to start reading it from John 10, 10. And uh, I'm going to go for a while. Okay, so you guys just stick with me. All right. Jesus said, I assure to you, anyone who does not enter, enter the sheep pen by the door, but climbs in in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him. And the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of him. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will come in and go out and find pastures. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Beautiful. The hired man, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees the the wolf coming. The wolf snatches and scatters them, and this happens because he's a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. And this is why the Father loves me, because I am laying down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay down my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I received the command from my Father. And it says, and again, the vision took place among the Jews because of these words. So Jesus says all these beautiful things, and all the people are divided. It says, many of them were saying, he has a demon and is crazy. All right, <clears throat> that's one way to look at it. He said, why do you listen to him? And others were saying, these aren't the words of a demon-possessed man. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I love that passage of Scripture. I love it for... So many reasons. There's so much just in those 21 verses um, that we could spend weeks on. <clears throat> and to be honest with you, we might. Um, as I was working through this this week and studying, uh, studying this, this passage the last couple of weeks, there's just so 
much. There's so many amazing things in this text about Jesus, about our God, about him as our shepherd. And, and so we, we might take a few weeks just working through this passage and just um, unveiling because there's just so much great stuff in here that I really want us to not rush through, but to take our time talking about who Jesus is, who this shepherd is, and who the bad, these bad shepherds are, right? This contrast that Jesus gives them about who this good shepherd is. So we might spend a, a few um, weeks on this. And, and so this week, what I want to do for us is I want to set the climate. I want us to, as a church, as we go in and we study this, this passage, these 21 verses of Scripture, I want us to understand, um, before we even really get into it, I want us to understand the situation in which Jesus is saying these things. I want us to understand, as, as a church, as we study this Scripture, the context in which Jesus is saying that. And the reason why this matters is because when you understand the context of what he's saying this in and where, where he's saying it in, you understand a lot more of why he's saying what he's saying, and you actually understand a lot better what he's saying. It makes a whole lot more sense to us when we understand what's going on around him, right? And so this first week, I really want us to just set up understanding the context of when Jesus walks in and says, I am the good shepherd, why that's such a big deal? Why does that matter so much, right? Um, and, and first off, it's just simply this, the shepherd was, um, the imagery that Jesus used isn't a new thing. Like he's, if you read the Bible, he's not the first person to use the imagery of the shepherd, right? You read the Old Testament, you read, you see um, them talking about shepherds all over the place. It's one that was used often in Jewish tradition. And one simple reason why is because they're in a, agri- they're in a, a farming culture. It's agriculture, right? So if, if when Jesus walks up and he says, I'm the good shepherd, that makes a lot of sense to them because some of them were shepherds. They had been around shepherds. They had been, right, they had been around this whole situation. Like Texas, we'd probably maybe use a football analogy. I don't know. Um, but for them, they're like, I am the good shepherd. And when they say, I'm the good shepherd, they knew exactly what that meant. Like if I said to you, hey, I'm a shepherd, what does a shepherd do? You're like, not let the sheep die? You know, I don't know. Like what does a shepherd do, right? Feed the sheep. But when, when they hear, what does a shepherd do? What is a good shepherd? The good shepherd perfects, protects the flock. The good shepherd provides for the flock. The good shepherd, whenever um, one of the lambs goes missing, goes out and finds it, leaves the 99 to go find the one, right? This is the good, when you, when you hear, when, in this context, when they hear them talking about what a good shepherd would be, they, that means so much more, right? And so I want us to look at this and understand what is the shepherd analogy, Leaders in the Bible are often ta- called shepherds. Um, pastors in the scriptures are called shepherds. That's a danger for me as I'm looking at this. I'm like, oh man, that's, that's me. I've got to be better. I don't know, right? Um, the, so leaders are called shepherds. Pastors are called shepherds. The priests were called shepherds. Um, Jesus calls himself a shepherd. God is called a shepherd. You see in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Um, there's nothing I like. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He, li- he leads me beside still waters. He renews my soul. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Even when I go through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This idea of the shepherd is all throughout Scripture. Another one in Isaiah 10, 40 and 41 says, See the Lord God comes with strength and his power and establishes his rule. His reward is with them and his gifts accompanying him. He protects the flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those who are nursing. 
So this, this analogy where Jesus steps in and says, I'm the shepherd, this isn't a new idea to these guys. This is a big deal because they had had good shepherds. They'd also had a whole lot of bad shepherds. And so Jesus stepping in and saying, I'm the good shepherd, um, matters. And it's actually not just um, this idea the shepherd isn't like a brand new idea on this scene. Like it actually really matters within the context of this specific situation, which is why I want to step back and set the scene kind of like a movie. I want us to feel like we're kind of watching a movie. So as we see the scene, we kind of understand really well what's going on. So um, the reason why uh, the shepherd analogy, he used the shepherd analogy because it fits in the situation. There's this beautiful thing that Jesus does all the time in the scriptures where he walks into a situation, he kind of reads the room, sees what's going on, and then uses what's going on in the room to speak a spiritual truth. Does that make sense? And so that's what Jesus is doing here is he's walking into a scene, he's walking into a situation, he's seeing what's going on around him, and then he uses kind of what's going on, which is this shepherd analogy, to bring it in there and just nail this beautiful spiritual truth. And what we actually see is him revealing that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior, that he's the Christ. So it's really cool. So he comes in. The scene's kind of like this. If you can just, let's just picture a movie for a second, all right? Jesus walking into this situation. And, and what we know is in this text, he's either, it's not totally clear, but he's either walking into the Feast of the Dedication or he's already at the Feast of the Dedication. You guys know what Feast of the Dedication is? So, yeah, I guess I should tell you guys since I'm the pastor, right? So the Feast of Dedication actually is Hanukkah. So Hanukkah means dedication, and so what they're celebrating is the rededication of the temple um, at Hanukkah. So why does this matter? What does that have to do with shepherds and leaders and all that kind of stuff, right? So Hanukkah is this eight-day celebration where they come in and they celebrate the recapturing of the Jerusalem temple, the rededication, get it, Hanukkah, dedication, the rededication of the Jerusalem temple. So for us to understand why that matters, we got to go back even further. So you go, how far back are we going to go, right guys? So we're going to go back a couple hundred years, right? So there's this guy, the reason they celebrate Hanukkah, right? There's this guy that uh, comes on the scene. Uh, I'm, uh, he's one of my favorite kings in history. His name is Alexander the Great. You guys heard of him? Pretty good guy, pretty good conqueror. So he comes through and he conquers Israel and he's, you know, the king of them. The thing that's really cool about Alexander the Great is that when he conquered a place, he didn't do it like uh, most conquerors did, most kings did. Like a lot of times kings would come in, they'd conquer and they'd oppress the people and they'd force them to assimilate in their society and just be like heavy handed on them. What Alexander the Great did that made him so great is that he would come into a situation when he would conquer them, he wouldn't force them to be like them. Instead, he would say, once you guys learn from us, we'll learn from you. And he actually made their lives better. So Maybe if we could understand if someone, not that I want this, but if somebody came in and say conquered the United States, somebody came in and conquered good old U.S. of A., but instead of like oppressing us, what they did was help us, um, give us good things, make our lives better. Although we would miss being in the USA, it would be kind of hard to be mad at them, right? Because they came in and they made our lives better. What do we have to complain about, right? So that's kind of what Alexander the Great did when he came through and he he conquered places. So he comes in, he conquers um, the Israelites. And uh, what happened was, though, is that the Jewish leadership began to look at the Greek culture and they they began to like it. They began to think, oh, this is kind of interesting the way they do this. We kind of, maybe we can be more like them. And so there was this sect of 
the Jews or the Hebrews, which is what Jesus is, and they begin to, instead of keeping their religion, keeping their culture, they begin to turn into like the Greeks and they begin to betray their culture. The leadership is leading them in this direction. And then what happens is Alexander the Great leaves and more Greek armies come in, except they're not like Alexander the Great. They're an oppressive people. They are very heavy-handed. And what they want to do, their idea is, let's not allow the, let's not learn from the Jews. Let's force them to assimilate into our culture. Let's, let's destroy their religion. Let's force them to be like us. So they would do things like uh, the Greek army would force the Jews and the Hebrews to um, house their army. So they got the, the Hebrews got their army staying in their houses with them. They would force them to pay high taxes that would help finance their army. So that would, to use that analogy from earlier, if we had somebody come in and conquer us and then they, they're living in our houses, forcing us to pay super high taxes so that we can force them, so that they can um, conquer more people, we're not going to be so thrilled about that one, right? That, that's not as, not as fun of a situation. So they forced them to pay these super high taxes so they could keep conquering. And then in order to crush the Jewish religion, what they did is went to the Jewish temple, like their church, and built statues of Zeus and forced the Jews, forced the Hebrews to make sacrifices to Zeus instead of God. So they're coming through and they're just trying to crush their religion. They're forcing them, they're forcing them to be like them. And a lot of this, the Hebrews, the Jews blamed on their leaders, their shepherds. It's y'all's fault. Y'all led us here. Y'all made this happen. So then this really cool thing happened. And I don't, Maybe this is a movie. I feel like it should be a movie. Like, if it's not a movie yet, it needs to be. Because it's, like, right down the line of 300, Braveheart. Like, this is awesome. So around, like, 160 B.C., um, there's, there's this, like, Greek patrol coming through this, this town. And what they do is they get all the people to go, all right, we're going to force you to make a sacrifice to Zeus. So they, they grab this guy, or they ask for a volunteer. So this guy volunteers. His name was Maccabee. <laughs> Right, so he comes in, he volunteers, he says, I'll, I'll do the sacrifice, I'll make the sacrifice. So he comes in, they hand him the knife, he goes to sacrifice the pig, instead of sacrificing the pig, he kills the guy that gave him the knife. Awesome, like 300, right? This is Sparta, get out of here, right? That kind of thing. So he stabs the guy, and then the Jews slaughter the, the Greek patrol. They kill them all. Awesome, right? You're like, yeah, this would be a movie, right? So they do that, and then, of course, war breaks out. So the Greek Syrian army, they bring down 50,000 soldiers to come and conquer these Jews. And there's this guy named Judas Maccabee. His nickname was the Hammer. What an awesome name. Maccabee means hammer. So he's like, he's, their, he's like their leader, the Hammer. I'm telling you, this should be a movie. So, so the Hammer leads the army against these Greek Syrian, and the at, they're the Jewish army, going against the army of 50,000, had like three, four, 6,000 people at the time. At the most they had was 12,000 people. So their army was tiny in comparison. And what they did was instead of fighting them straight up, they did guerrilla warfare. So they'd sneak into their camp, kill everybody, and then run away, which, is, as you can imagine, was really frustrating for the Greek army. And over a period of years, what happens is they, they conquer three separate Greek armies. They beat three separate Greek armies, and eventually the Greeks just give up, man. Peace. Y'all can have it. So, great story, right? You're like, where in the world is this going? So, <laughs> I just like history, okay, guys? Can we, can we just talk about that? So kind of the end of the story as they defeat all of these armies, the final battle scene, like, and this is why it should be a movie, the final battle scene 
<clears throat> is they go to this, to, back to their temple, right? So they go to their temple, which the Greeks had made a fortress. It had been like their final, their final hold. It's the Alamo, right? So they go to the Alamo. The, the Jews defeat the Alamo. <laughs> oh, I'm saying Alamo. They defeat this last, this last place, go back into their temple, the Hebrew temple. They destroy the statues of Zeus. They bust it all down and they rededicate the temple. And what they want to do is go in and relight what was called, what we would call the eternal flame. And so what the eternal flame was, this, it was this flame in the Hebrew temple that represented the spirit of God. It represented God's presence. So, presence. so as long as that flame was lit in the temple, it meant that God was with them, that God's presence was in that place. So they want to light this, this, this candle, this, this flame, but they have to use this special oil to do it. And this special oil took eight days to make. It took over a week to make, and all they could find was a small jar of this oil. And it was supposed to burn for like less than a day. But instead, what happens is they light it. And this, again, this means God's presence. God is with them. They light it, and the flame burns on the oil that should have lasted for less than a day for eight days. Time for them to make more oil. And they take this. This is a miracle of God saying, the temple is rededicated. My presence is with my people once again. Isn't that beautiful? And so that's, that's the story of Hanukkah. That's why they celebrate Hanukkah, is this eight-day celebration of rededicating the temple. We're getting rid of these bad leaders, bringing in good leaders. We're rededicating God's presence is back with us. And so that's the scene that Jesus walks into as them celebrating this, this season of Hanukkah. But, but as he's doing this, what was happening again in the Hebrew culture, the Jewish culture was at this time, remember the Romans are now over them. The Romans are now their bosses or whatever. And again, we have these guys called the Hellenistic Jews who are leading the Jewish people away from their culture again. So what's happening is these, these Jewish guys are saying, these Jewish leadership are saying, we want to be like the Romans. We like what they're doing. We want to be more like them. Let's leave our religion. Let's, let, or, and if we're going to do our religion, we're at least just going to kind of walk through the motions. So imagine if as your pastor, I was like, well, you know, I really kind of like the way America's going, you know, like, let's just, let's come and meet here. We'll sing the songs. I'm not really going to mean it. And I'll just talk for a little bit, but, but we really, let's just be as much like America as we can and less like Jesus. We, let's not really be big fans of that guy, right? Let's just talk about other stuff. You're not going to show up, right? <laughs> like you're like, what am I doing? I'm leading. That's kind of what's happening. Is these, these Jews are becoming more and more like the Roman culture, and so Jesus is stepping into this situation where once again the Hebrews and the Jews are frustrated with their leadership. They're frustrated with their priests. They're frustrated with their shepherds. What's and, and what's happening? So so what, what happens is Hanukkah becomes this this celebration of Hanukkah. Instead of celebrating the thing that God had done, it became a frustrate a time of frustration and lament for the Hebrew people, where they're asking questions like, "Where what's happening to our leaders? How did we lose our way? Where are are our good shepherds?" And literally, I was reading one one guy talking about this this week, and he was saying that they were literally reading in the temple critiques of their leadership. So can you imagine getting together to celebrate Hanukkah and they're like, all right, let's get in the church. Let's talk bad about our leaders. Let's talk about how much they stink, right? Like one, here's something that they read from Ezekiel chapter two. It says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of evil. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Dang. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. 
You have not sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became like food for all of the wild animals. When they were scattered, the flock, my flock went astray on all the mountains. On a very high hill, they were scattered all over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching for them. Ouch, right? They're not big fans of their leadership at this point. They're asking the question, where are our shepherds? Where are our leaders? Where are... What's happening, man? And so as we look at the context, as we see the situation, we look at, like a movie, what Jesus is stepping into, what he's walking into at this time. And he tells this story, I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep by the pen or by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name, and I love this. He calls out his own sheep by name, and it says he leads them out. When he has brought them all outside, he goes ahead of them. What that means is he's calling out his sheep, and then he's leading the way. He's walking in front. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger instead they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of the strangers. So here we have Jesus on the scene walking into this moment where the people are questioning their leadership, but they're questioning their shepherds. And Jesus tells this parable and he says, this is who a good shepherd is. This is what a good shepherd looks like. This is the kind of shepherd that we want to follow. The shepherd enters by the door. He doesn't sneak in. The shepherd, the sheep know his voice. He calls them by name. He leads them out. He goes before them. And then later on, you see Jesus explain, I am the good shepherd, and I have come to bring life, abundant life. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, my goodness, man. I love it. It's Jesus saying, I'm the Messiah, and I'm here to save. And if you notice, he doesn't say, I'm a shepherd. He says, I'm the shepherd. The people are looking for a leader. They're looking for their shepherd. They're confused. They're frustrated. And Jesus steps in, and he says, I am the shepherd. They're looking for answers, and he answers incredibly. He takes the context. He takes the situation. He, he surveys the situation, and he answers with the perfect response. I'm the Savior, I'm the healer, I'm the Messiah, I'm the shepherd. You guys keep looking to physical leaders. You guys keep expecting your leaders to save you. You guys keep expecting, but I'm here to save you. I'm here to be your shepherd. I'm here to be your leader. I'm here. I am the good shepherd. And so next week, we're going to get into a lot more of what does that, we're going to try to unpack that. What does the good shepherd mean? Like we're gonna, I want to break down all of these things that Jesus talks about. The good shepherd does this, he does this, he does this. And I want to talk about what that looks like, what that means. For us as Christians, what does that mean? But I think as we start this series, I think that we would be making a mistake if we didn't take a step back, look at what was happening with the, the Jews there, look at what's happening with the Hebrews, how they're in the situation where they're frustrated because they keep following the wrong shepherds. And I'm, this isn't a political thing. Please don't be like, are you talking about Trump? I'm not. Okay. They keep following the wrong shepherds and it keeps 
leading them into frustration. It keeps leading them into death. It keeps leading them into suffering. It keeps leading them to the wrong places. And I think that we'd be remiss if we didn't take a step back and see that and ask ourselves that question first. What shepherd are we following? What shepherd are we expecting to save us? What shepherd are we expecting to be our healer? What shepherd are we putting our trust in? Sometimes we get into desert places, man, and it's hard to it's hard to know who to follow. It's hard to know where to find the answers. It's it's hard to understand. Like um and what happens is we search in all of these crazy places for the answers. We search in all of these crazy places for the shepherd, expecting things to save us and to heal us and to, to, to give us hope that weren't built for that. Right? Like, like I, I was reading this, this week about this study this guy named George Barna did. It's an organization they, they study kind of Christian culture. And they asked all of these high schoolers uh, what when, you, when, when, when life gets hard, when you're in trouble, when you don't know what to do, who do you go to? Who do you trust? Who do you put your faith in? Right? Mom and dad, right? The parents in here are like, yeah, mom and dad, right? The, all the younger guys are like, right? So dad came in 25th on the list. Good job, dad. Um, mom did a lot better. She was 11th. Number one answer, what'd you say? That was number two. Google? <laughs> a way to ruin a spiritual moment. <laughs> number one was music. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want Justin Bieber being the place my son goes to for hope. Right. Number one was music. Now, why is that? Is that the parents' fault? I don't necessarily think so. I think it's that and maybe, you know, maybe sometimes, but I think that we just don't know who to put our faith in sometimes. Sometimes when you're in the midst of it, you don't know who needs to be the shepherd. We don't, we don't understand that. We don't, we don't get that, and so we get lost. And if you're thinking adults are better, they're not. Anybody remember Miss Cleo? Woman made a living for years off of just telling people a bunch of... Did you know she had a Jamaican accent? She wasn't even Jamaican. Did y'all know that? And she died a lot recently, and you thought she would have saw that coming, right? But adults, we're not much better. We put our faith in all kinds of things, except we're a lot better at hiding it. So it's like our 401k, it's money, it's, right? The shepherding takes a different look for us. But it's no less dangerous. And those same shepherds, if the shepherd's not Jesus, those same shepherds still lead us to the same places. And it's, it's not even their fault. It's they weren't built for that. They weren't created for that. They weren't made to sustain you, to protect you, to heal you, to transform, to give you life. That's not what they were made for. There's only one shepherd that was made for that, and that's Jesus. And so I want to challenge you to look in those places of your heart this week and ask yourself, is the shepherd that I'm putting my faith in, is the shepherd that I'm putting my trust in, is that truly Jesus? And, and I'll be honest because a lot of times what happens is that, uh, you know, Christians, the ones that have been here for a while, uh, you know, the 20 guys that are 20 years in, we have a hard time because we're the ones that are like, oh yeah, it's Jesus, Jesus. Like, you guys are the worst because you don't, sometimes you just don't really examine yourself. Do it, man. For the love, literally the love of Jesus, do it. Because sometimes the ones that have been in it for a long time are the ones that have the hardest time seeing themselves truly. 
So I want to ask you that question. As we look at this and see this climate of these people who had been following all the wrong shepherds, which shepherd are you following? Is it the one that's going to lead you to life and hope and healing? Or is it one that's going to lead you down a path of destruction? I want to ask you guys, oh, come on up. This assessment of yourself, it matters for this one reason, because there's only one good shepherd. The rest truly are thieves. They may not mean to be, but the rest truly are thieves. And in this time where our country is confused and is having a hard time, and not, not to be political, but we're trying to find out who, are we, who do we want to shepherd our country, right? Where, what direction are we going to go? We're looking for all of these shepherds, and I encourage you to not put your faith in those things. Put your faith in Jesus and Christ that he would be the true shepherd, that he would be the healer, that he would be the hope, that we could truly say the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I lack. He leads me down green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along right paths for his name's sake. Even I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. For your staff and your rod, they comfort me. Let that be true of us. We can say, the Lord is truly my shepherd. That not just in the bad times is he the one I'm trusting, but in the good times as well. Because what's dangerous is we get in a place and we're like, I trust God, I trust him to be my shepherd, I trust him to lead me to a point. And then when it gets too uncomfortable, we default back to the safety of those other things that we were trusting. And I just want to warn you of that. Be careful of that. That's dangerous. Those things will let you down always, always. So what I want us to do is I want to ask you to stand with me. And we're just going to worship our shepherd. We're going to worship our king. We're going to worship our God. And um, yeah, we've got these guys that are going to be hanging out on kind of each side of the aisle. They have name tags on. If you want to pray with somebody, if you need anything that's going on, you just like to talk to somebody, get some counseling or, or pray with, I want to encourage you go. They're, they're there for you. That's what they're here for, okay? But I'm going to pray and let's, let's worship our shepherd. And I want to ask you to just take a moment intrinsically and look inside and ask yourself, who is that truly, that shepherd that I, that I trust? Father, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are the good shepherd. I thank you that you bring hope and life and healing to us, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would teach us Teach us because it's really hard to let you be the shepherd over all areas of our life. It's not an easy thing. It's a process. And so I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to do that because we know as we walk through it and we truly see it, there's nothing like it. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.